This is the Becoming Man podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Melke, here with co-host Marshall McElhaney. Integrating our knowledge and experience as family therapists, husbands, fathers, and men, we explore a wide range of topics from a masculine perspective, including mental health, relationships, fatherhood, and meaning-making in today's ever-evolving world. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode four of the Becoming Man podcast. I'm Dr. Anthony Melke here with Marshall McElhaney. Hey, Marshall. Howdy, Anthony. We're here on a Friday evening, back mm-hmm. to normal recording time. None of this Monday stuff anymore. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, today we're going to take a step back and talk about some of the cultural um, how do we say it? <clears throat> Not cultural influences, but the the culture of masculinity um, as it has existed in sort of our time, I guess, the last hundred years or so. Sure. For our listeners' sake, to break this down simply, I know we started this whole project off with origins, identity, and legacy. Is this a more origins-focused yes. episode? Yes. This cool. is this is the uh, this is the official beginning of the origins aspect of this first season of the of the podcast. So um, so before we talk about personal origin stories, where we're from, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about sort of some of the collective origin stories that um, have were sort of the um, the worlds we were raised in. Sure. As as males, um, and talk about some of the messages and narratives and those sorts of things around masculinity, um, and what we're taking where we're taking this from is uh, research again in psychology, in men's psychology. Um, so whenever we do anything like talk about research as like something big, like a culture or something like that, we are always excluding several other voices and opinions and perspectives. Um, probably this is me being a academic stickler or something like that, but that's the caveat. There's, there's anthropology about this. There's theology about this philosophy about this, blah, blah, mm-hmm. you know, we're taking the, the look, a look through the lens of psychology sure. and how psychology has, um, put together what masculinity has meant on a, on a large scale, cool. kind of in the modern American experience. So that's what we're up to. We have a listener question today as well, if we get to it, which I hope we will, uh, at the end of the episode, it's a doozy. Yes, it is. We'll wait to read it until the end because of its dooziness. but I love it. Um, yeah, shout out to our listeners. Keep sending those questions in yeah. and uh, rate and review the podcast, our shameless plug here real fast. Yeah. Um, that's what we have to do. Yep. We get more listeners. Yep. As always, thanks to the listeners. Thanks for feedback. We always appreciate it. And thank you, Jeff, for this week's question. 
which like I said, hopefully we'll get to. Um, but uh, Marshall, I have a question for you. What's up? What, um, what's your family's like ethnic origins? What, what are you? That's a good question. <clears throat> Considering we had to discuss this and identify this in school. I believe, if I remember my sister's, was it 21 and me? 23 and me. 23 and me. There we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am 39% Irish, mm-hmm. and none of anything else matters, according to me. So, <laughs> yeah. Over a third percent Irish. McElhaney. Tell me about, do you know your clan? Do you know the story of the McElhaney clan? I do know the story of the McElhaney clan. Do tell, please. Um, they... I'm going to butcher the year, but they came over in the late, early 1800s, like 1815 maybe, from Lifford, Ireland. Where's Lifford? Um, I'm going to embarrass my wife right now because my geography is terrible. Um, is she a geography teacher? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's always embarrassed when we talk about oh, these things. She's like, can you name all the capitals in the United States? And I go, no. No. <laughs> It's 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 almost in uh, Northern Ireland. It looks like it's right on the line. Do you know what county it's in? Not off the top of my head. Okay, I don't know off the top of my head. When I was uh, I, when I was studying abroad in my undergrad, mm-hmm. I was in Italy, in Rome, but we spent a week in Ireland, and everything was by county. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's Lifford County. <laughs> I could be wrong. I don't think there's a county yeah, called it's, Lifford. I just remember it was Lifford. Cool. Um, but yeah, they, they, I believe it was 1815 when they came over, moved to uh, Pennsylvania pretty quickly, and then to Morning Sun, Iowa. Morning Sun? Morning Sun, Iowa. Who came to Morning Sun, Iowa? Samuel McElhaney. Samuel McElhaney. And then his father came as well. Can I tell you one of my favorite books in, or I'm sorry, one of my favorite characters in all of literature? What's that? Samuel Hamilton. From East of Eden. Have you read East of Eden by mm-hmm. John Steinbeck? Mm-mm. Samuel Hamilton is a Irish farmer. Yep. Sounds about right. Really? Well, we were farmers. Really? My dad still is. Yep. McElhaney and Sons. Apparently the son, though. Uh... It became a therapist. <laughs> yeah. He skipped the farm. <laughs> anyway, so tell me about Samuel McElhaney and his dad in, in Morning Sun, Iowa. Uh, they started a... Well, they didn't start, but they were... I don't know, one of the original members of a church that my family has gone to for, shoot, I don't know, two or three generations. How long is a generation like? Um, Are we talking like well, I'm talking over, to over past, years? past my grandparents. So it would be my, I think, at, at least great-great-grandparents. They started this church? They didn't start it, but they were, they were at, okay. at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I in, believe. In maybe maybe I maybe I've butchered this whole thing. Doesn't matter. <laughs> pretty close. I'm, I'm I'm in the range at least. Okay. Yeah. In morning Morning Sun, Iowa. Is that where you grew up? Morning that Sun. That's where I grew up. What a great name, Morning Sun. Yeah, it has about 800 people, including cats, cows, and dogs. How many McElhaneys? There are actually a lot of McElhaneys, but a few of us aren't even related. Wow. Yeah, at least not closely. Are you connected to the McElhaneys of the Samuel McElhaney line? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How how present was your Irish heritage growing up? <laughs> um, s- 
spoken and cherished, I would say uh, zero. Um, But weird therapy conversation here when we had to read Monica McGoldrick. I can't remember what the book is, but her her book. The Expanding Family Life Cycle. Not that one. She has one about. Never mind. Yeah, she has one about (laughs) cultural heritage and breaks down like all all different cultures and ethnicities. Um, Again, I'm going to talk about the show Westworld and programming robots. Yeah. But when I read her chapter on people of Irish heritage, I felt like that was a code into my psyche Mm. that someone had just typed into a book and said, if you're going to program Marshall, this is it. Mm. And it was scary. Wait a minute. How did, how could you be 39% Irish and nothing else? And you never talked about being Irish. We only talked about being farmers. Yeah. I mean, I guess no one ever talked about being Irish. I mean, I got this, I was handed this McElhaney book. Um, I don't know, in high school sometime. Cause I asked questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like the dropkick Murphys. <laughs> And then I, I actually received whatever the original copy is when my grandmother passed this last year, um, which was a fun reread. But yeah, no, I mean, our heritage was never talked about. Like, okay. we didn't even have any, like, at least that I knew of, like, real uh, cultural traditions or anything. Okay. It's just, you know, corn fed. It's okay. Corn fed uh, white boys. Church. <laughs> God-fearing white boys. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the, the legacy trans transitioned into church going yeah, for and sure. farmers. For sure. Okay. What did you find in that book? I'm curious now. <clears throat> um, in the programming Marshall Mac. Fear of God, self-judgment, um, that type of stuff. Yeah. Like literally to a T, uh, an intro into my psyche until, until I started doing my own self-work. Wow. Yeah. A lot of self-judgment, a lot of fear of God. Um, family first waiting for pain type deal um, yeah yeah it was, oh, it, was it was pretty scary to read actually but also made sense of like oh this is not just mine hmm. this has been going on for a long time what can you say like I'm, I'm really curious about what it was like to read yourself out of a book uh it was creepy <laughs> it was it, like it, it was something that like all of a sudden again I know last episode, you and I had both mentioned, like, yeah, we can go to therapy until, you know, things were not good. Yeah. Um, Reading that was like, whoa. uh, This stuff that's been there a long time, Mm -hmm. you know, is not just something that is uh, experienced just for this McElhaney, at least as far as according to, you know, Irish heritage and, and... Psyche. It's pretty bizarre, right? To say the least. To find yourself in a book. Yeah. About a group. Yeah. Like I said, if you wanted to program, you know, robot Marshall, mm-hmm. yeah, take that, take that chapter and type it in, and uh, you probably get pretty close. So one of the things that I uh, first landed on as a term to describe my own experience, and then have later shared with. A lot of people that I work with is this idea of living in reverse or getting a getting a piece of information about yourself or your mm-hmm. story or something like that or under getting some information sure. about people like you, mm-hmm. Irish people, for example, and uh, 
all of a sudden your past, which might have seemed black and white, gets filled with color. Yeah. Did that happen to you? Um. Yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong. There were there were some things that that made sense that weren't all negative. Even that's no, of what course. I'm focused yeah, on yeah. right now. But yeah. Yeah. No. It 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 you know started to connect the dots for a lot of things for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I took a chance just now and assumed <laughs> that your experience of being in a family mm-hmm. that had a, a heritage connected to a country mm-hmm. would somehow connect to my experience of understanding the history of masculinity in the United States. Did you take a swing and miss? Nope. Okay, cool. Spot on. Let's go. Let's go. So here's, here's what happened to me. Or I guess here's what I'm hearing from your story. Mm-hmm. It's you have a story to tell. The McElhaney's came from this part of Ireland. Yep. We, we know when they came. Somehow, some way, the details got lost. McElhaney became farmers and church people, not Irish yep. from, from whatever city you came from. Yep. At least not explicitly. Lifford. Thank you. Excuse me. Yes, Lifford. Um, and then you started reading about what being an Irish person, a person, person of Irish descent yep. meant, and you found yourself in those pages. 100%. Yeah. So you're talking about the experience of a culture being lived out even if it wasn't being named. Yep. Okay. Welcome to the experience of masculinity in the United States. <laughs> yeah. You see where I'm going? Oh, 100. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I got into masculinity research um, out of intellectual curiosity. Mm-hmm. I was interested in the relationship between men and women. Mm-hmm. Always fascinated. And sad dads. And sad dads. That didn't come till later. Okay. Yeah. What I was interested in is the relationship between men and women. And their, and their unity, you know, mm-hmm. growing up Catholic, that was such a big thing. When I was studying philosophy, every class I could take that was on the relationship between humans and especially uh, men and women, marriage, etc. Again, growing up Catholic, that's all that was acceptable. Right. Um, so it started as theoretical. I wrote my master's thesis on social norms and their impact on men's relational functioning i was like oh yeah theoretical definitely no personal influence right (laughs) or investment yeah your perspective didn't play a role in that at all huh no i was just interested (laughs) yeah i was interested and that's when i landed on the sad dad thing sure oh gosh so many sad dads um but at a certain point something switched in my doctorate when I was like immersing myself in this literature and I had a very similar experience with masculinity as you're describing with um, your cultural heritage Mm -hmm. with being Irish Um, and it was this this experience of looking reading these books reading these articles listening to people talk about this and realizing like, oh my goodness, this is me. Mm. This is my story. Um, I'm going to bounce back to you for a second. Mm-hmm. What kind of, well, 
I experienced a bit of a crisis, a crisis of consent, I would say, which it was, am I going to take this in and, and deal with it? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to reject it? Mm. Um, how about you? I mean, as weird as it was, I think it was more acceptance, honestly. Um, like, they're, they're, as, as creepy and as weird as, as reading that chapter was, mm-hmm. there was a sense of like, like I said earlier, oh, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. And even if it feels a little, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, like a cheat code. <laughs> what kind of cheat code? <laughs> I don't know. One, one to break me <laughs> or make sense of my experience. Like it, it yeah. I accepted what it was because it, it, it brought some form of relief mm-hmm. once I had digested it a little bit like, oh, okay. Yeah. I can do work in this area. These, this, this self shame, um, self judgment, mm-hmm. even in a, a, a jovial sense, you know, Mm-hmm. It's it's not just mine, so I can have a choice now. Mm-hmm. Do I accept it and make choice around it, right, or revert back to just head in the sand? Sure, sure. So, what are some of the like general characteristics of somebody of Irish descent that you learned about from your eye-opening experience? Um, God-fearing. Uh, Full of self-judgment, mm-hmm. um, worried about uh, if I remember correctly, salvation, mm-hmm. um, but also very, very jokester and jovial and and mm-hmm. I, I don't know, playful. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethnicity those, the, and family therapy. That's the book. There you go. I yeah, think. Monica Ethnicities McGoldrick. and families or that's, ethnic, that's it. Yeah, the big red one. Yeah, fantastic book. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have, I have an innate urge to go read that chapter, which I have saved right real quick, but I won't do that. <laughs> um, I mean, those are things that, that really like at least resonated with me that mm-hmm. I recall off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know there was some form of oppression in there, um, mm-hmm. For the hist- but also the history. Uh, yeah. Maybe. But also adaption and very yeah. quick adaption. And that's, I mean, that's, it kind of sticks with me as well. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> So with any sort of like cultural identifier, there's general characteristics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about you being a person of Irish descent. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, but any, there are so many options to say like, uh, you know, these sorts of people have general, general characteristics. These sorts of people have general characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, They're general, but also not completely uh, descriptive. Sure. Meaning like every single person underneath that general umbrella, Mm -hmm. Irish people, for example, not everybody shows up with all of the characteristics. Right. But certain features often explain the lived experience of individual people underneath that umbrella. Mm-hmm. so getting back to masculinity a little bit, um, for a really long time, masculinity wasn't even looked at as, um, something, well, it wasn't really looked at. It wasn't 
taken as anything to be examined. Mm. It was taken um, as a thing that just is. It is what it is. Yeah. Except there's not even the second part. It's just like it, it is. is. I got you. Period. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> for a long time, it was taken to be just kind of this standard feature of how the world was set up and um, and completely and uh, how would I say this like innately connected to being born a male mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't until so I'll, I'll back up in, in a lot of ways that was like incredibly comfortable sure um, because there were no questions it was, it was very clear, like, you're born a male. This is what males do. Um, and with without the value judgment of whether it was good or bad or harmful or, or beneficial or anything like that, mm-hmm. it was predictable. Sure. Um, and in large part, it was accepted and, and acceptable. Um, now, we, there's a lot of dialogue around patriarchy right now sure the oppressive patriarchal system um, which we'll probably have to do a whole episode on patriarchy because it's probably more than one it's such an uh, uh, intricate term to understand Um, but because there was a cultural structure that really didn't question what it meant to be male males didn't question at least in mass I don't know I haven't talked to males living in 1920 as adult men right you know unfortunately there aren't very many of them available for a conversation anymore. yes <laughs> pour one out for our homies <laughs> yeah. for our ancestors um so at least reflected sort of in like the literature there wasn't a ton of questioning around around these things mm-hmm. um and Okay, so it was just kind of like a feature of, of the world we grew up in. Yeah. Yeah. Our dead mentors, Kierkegaard and Nietzsche. Am I saying it right? Nietzsche. Nietzsche. I don't know how they... We have to... I don't know what they both have to say about masculinity. Yeah. I have a feeling... I think Nietzsche was pretty racist and also sexist. Hmm. From From my understanding, so... That wasn't rough. That wasn't good. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure about Kierkegaard. Sure. Unfortunately, there was a chance that he was too. <laughs> things in were con- in context. Things were not good in that arena yeah, in during context. that time. Yeah. Um, so anyway, okay. We're, now we're going to get to some of the psychology yeah. psychology research. So um, we all uh, we all. I'm making a generalization again. There's, there's a cultural trope about the 1950s. Yeah. You know, the standard American family, white picket fence, husband goes to work, woman stays home, takes care of the kids in the house. Depending on what part of, sort of like what perspective you take mm-hmm. on your values um, and how you view the family and stuff, the 1950s is either seen or is like a symbol of the... Uh, the ideal family when family values were still family values before sure. the sexual revolution or it's seen as like the epitome of of uh, female oppression and patriarchy and male um, mm-hmm. domination mm-hmm. 
Excuse me, and there's probably lots of area in between. Yeah. But this is kind of like how we talk about the 1950s in either way. You know, just just to ask you a question real fast, Anthony, yeah. I'm, I'm curious about, I know we're speaking from a psychological perspective. Is this is, is this when masculinity as a, a topic and an idea kind of began? Because I know sociologically, right, this is kind of a big era for that as well, um, where they started really tracking it and researching it. Yeah, so psychology was late to the party um, of sort of critically examining the idea of masculinity. Mm. Um, interestingly, the 50s were followed by the 60s. Mm-hmm. You know what happened in the 60s, right? Fun. Sexual revolution. <laughs> yeah. Right? I think I'm spot on still. Yeah, lots of fun. <laughs> Again, I wasn't there. I'm yeah. not sure. But but either, either way, yeah. the sexual revolution happened. It was a... You know, it's interesting to look at the the movement of history. The uh, the fifties were rigid and mm-hmm. role defined, et cetera, et cetera. And the sixties were like, let's explode all of the structure. Yeah. Let's explode. Let's all blow this it. up. Yeah, let's blow this up. So, a um, little bit of bias here. When the fifties are idealized for the family, one of my favorite quips back is, "Well, there's a reason the fifties were followed by the sixties." Something didn't feel right. Right. There's a good chance something didn't feel right for men and women. Yeah. For a, a very interesting and heartbreaking look into this, I highly suggest the movie Revolutionary Road, mm-hmm. which is also a book. Yeah. DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. Oh, my goodness. Really good. And really powerful. Yep. Um, anyway, uh, so what? Uh, where where I want to take it is kind of where the psychology research starts to pick this idea up Mm -hmm. um and uh there's a book surprise surprise this is what happens when there's a podcast with a professor yeah um there's a book called the myth of masculinity Mm. by joseph h pleck you mean the guy that's referenced all over your dissertation the ecosystemic masculine paradigm wow the ecosystemic oh sorry ecosystemic masculinity paradigm. thank you yeah it was published in 1981. Pleck was, yeah. 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 The Myth of Masculinity. Um, and, uh, of course, this is not the first book on masculinity, on men, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. By, by far. You know, that's not what I'm saying. This is when psychology takes up masculinity as a topic to be curious about. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pleck's book, The Myth of Masculinity... The first thing that he does, sort of in the first half of the book, is he tries to lay out um, what may be sort of like the core organizing values or features of um, masculinity up to that point. Gotcha. Um, And again, bias alert, he was not down with that version of masculinity. Mm -hmm. And it didn't look good. Yep. it was a lot of... Uh, started to challenge the it is. It started to challenge the it is, yeah. Um, so that was the first half of the book. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that he talked about, and, and these were these were pulled out um, later on in research, which we'll get to, but a lot of the things that he talked about, me reading it as, I don't know, 
I can't remember. I was writing my dissertation when I first read it. So 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. Me reading this the first time, I had the experience that you had reading the Irish Heritage sure. in that book. Yep. I was reading it, and um, I'm, I'm opening it now. Just like so much is underlined. Look at that. Just like <laughs> all of it. Like, oh, no. Oh no! Yeah, I'm oh. I'm happy I'm not alone with uh, oh, no just doctoring up fun books. Yeah, yeah. Um, See, it was, this this was ahead. me with um uh she was that book by Bill Hooks, Change uh, the Will to Change. Will to Change. There yeah. we go. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I had an introductory course before that, but that was the mm. book that um was like, oh, yep, they're all my. Uh, masculine things that have always been there and mm-hmm. you know aren't necessarily my choice just they're there they're there, they're there. it yeah. is it is yeah. yeah um so yeah the first half of this book it goes through sort of like all of the different um all the different features or 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 like core aspects of masculinity up to the point of like the 60s 70s and now he's writing in the 80s um, and then the second half of his book is sort of indicting that hmm. and saying, um, hey, maybe we shouldn't take these things as like innate mm-hmm. in us as males. And maybe we shouldn't take a version of these things that um, is harmful mm-hmm. uh, as innate and inevitable. Yeah. Okay, now I want to pause. Nope, not pause the podcast. I want, I want to pause the train of thought yeah. and back up. You remember in our first podcast where you were like, where would I stop listening? Mm-hmm. Right here? Yep. At least getting close to it, that's for sure. Me too. Yeah. For, for a long time. Yeah. Until I was ready to challenge mm-hmm. some of the harmful aspects of what I learned about being a man. Um, this is where I would have stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when somebody would say to me what it means to be masculine and everything you learned about being a man from your dad or the men in your life or culture or everything like that is harmful mm-hmm. I would have said oh mm, yeah hard, hard I can't sorry um, because this is meaningful and I was raised by men who did these things and I love them Yeah, and I'm a man who does these things and, and what do I do if I have to critically examine them you know this mm-hmm. is when i push stop and it's like okay yeah no these first three episodes were good but now somebody's pushing against something really fundamental yeah um i presented my uh as you know my dissertation as an article at a conference um and it was a it was a conference that uh it was it was a conference where people with new theories got to have their papers read and really smart experienced people read them and critique them and make you feel terrible about yourself. Sure. And then you stand in front of them and then they ask you really hard questions. Yeah, it sounds absolutely miserable. I loved it. I am so happy this didn't happen at our presentation in Minneapolis. <laughs> no. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. This it's a it's a very weird thing. I was nervous but I loved it. But sure. one of the things that came up, so for the listeners, my article or my um dissertation, I, I have a a theory of masculine psychology that I think is very unique. Um, and it leaves room for, uh, well, it leaves room for, uh, how would I put this? 
it's not rigid. Mm-hmm. It's talking about what being male means to the individual man mm-hmm. and how they identify themselves in the world. Anyway, so I was talking about it, um, and somebody brought up the American Psychological Association's guide on working with men. The APA. The APA, which is the big dog of right. psychological associations. Um and kind of challenged me, like, why didn't you cite this? Mm-hmm. You know, basically, like, this already exists. The APA did this thing. Right. But in the introduction of the APA's guide, they say that masculinity is a socially constructed idea. I'm sorry, gender. Gender constructed. Is a social construct mm-hmm. that isn't innate in the person um, and comes from socialization experiences. Let's translate that into... Just like me trying to talk to a guy about what it means yes. to be a man. Make it bar talk, please. Yeah. Hey, bud. Everything you think about being a man, it's only a product of a stupid system that makes you want to be a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal mm-hmm. that can only fight, have sex, and drink beer. Right. So... Bye. So your life's a lie. Yeah, bye. <laughs> right? See ya. It's so dismissive. Yeah. It's so dismissive. And I'm, I'm aware that we're walking in very tenuous water right now. Um, but frankly, I'm okay with it because yeah. we have to. This is where the conversation breaks down. Yeah. We have to. Um, well, this is... And this is exactly where people would shut off. Mm-hmm. 100%. This is it. Yeah. Um. So the reason I'm bringing that up is what I said to the person that um, said, okay, what about this, right? Mm -hmm. What about the APA? I said, uh, yes, APA just put out these guidelines, but let's just imagine there's there's probably about 50% of men in the world or people in the world or maybe even more that as soon as they hear that, nah, not for me. Yeah. Because being a man means something much more than a social, social construction. That's who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a I'm a man, and if you if you just say it's just a product of socialization and blah 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 blah, like I don't know what would it be if I told you, Marshall, like, hmm, being Irish, you know, you might think that's part of who you are, yeah, but really it's just the product of a system that we're all trying to break. Right. So, you know. Go eat a potato. Let's go. Let's go ahead and change that, and have you not be Irish anymore? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's not good. No. Okay. So here's the problem, and then, uh, well, yeah. Here's the problem. So we have masculinity, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And then, as we have it as it exists before, I don't know what the sexual revolution, something like that. And then we have it as ex- as it exists after, before it's taken as a given. Mm-hmm. It is. Period. It is. And these, this is what it means to be male. And I'm going to get into that for a minute. In a minute. And then afterwards, we have being male is dangerous. It's socially constructed and needs to be torn down and completely rebuilt. Maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe it just needs to be demolished. Period. Mm-hmm. It's bad. It's bad. Um, and then this is where the divide starts. This is where 
the liberal conservative divide starts. This is where the secular religious divide starts. This is where the academic and non-academic divide starts. It's it's very very polarizing here. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's here's the problem. We talked about this in some of our earlier episodes already. Some of the harmful aspects of masculinity that lead to depression, anxiety, suicide, mm-hmm. addiction, they are wrapped up in this. What it means according to this like essential form of masculinity pre-sexual revolution and what it means to be a male right now, how do we have a conversation about that yeah i mean you're, you're shifting people's worldview maybe right yeah. i mean like you're confronting it sure yeah yeah so um at least challenge right you're challenging it challenging it's like hey let's go yeah yeah yes yeah um Okay, I want to give you a list of what, again, from from the research. Academic, Anthony. The standard. Yeah. This is the gold the, standard. The standard measurement of truth. Yeah. Research, peer-reviewed research. Um, from the research. Um, and what I mean by research is like assessments that connect traditional uh, aspects of masculinity, traditional masculinity with harmful outcomes, relationally, mm-hmm. health, mental health. All mm-hmm. that. So here's what we got. Uh, Levant, I can't remember his first name. Levant is the, one of the major researchers in this. Okay. Pleck identified it as well. We also have a, a book called uh, by David and Brannon called The 49% Majority that identifies this. All of these, we're kind of talking about like the pillars of this field in psychology. Sure. They identified these aspects of traditional masculinity. And asterisk on that term, another one where people will turn off the podcast. So it's important to, to sort of say like when I say traditional masculinity, I'm talking about um, what the field of psychology has labeled the harmful aspects of how we understand masculinity. Right. Say it one more time what the field of psychology has identified as the harmful aspects of masculinity. Okay, that's important. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Ready? Shoot him off. Stoicism. Marcus Aurelius is rolling over in his grave. Tell me how many of you guys that are listening right now between the ages of 20 and 40 do not follow a stoic uh, account on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. I follow the Daily Stoic view. I got off social media for the most part. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But I did. Okay. Anyway, Stoicism. I also, we've, this is the second time we'll reference the movie Gladiator. Gladiator. That is Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. Stoic. Yep. And a a tenant usually of (laughs) what most people describe as male. Oh, he's Stoic. Yeah. 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 And Stoic being like nothing will phase him. Non-emotional. Yep. Nothing will phase him. Yeah. If anybody's interested in a very interesting uh, literary indictment of Stoicism, Ward Six by Anton Chekhov. Mm-hmm. It's a I I know I quoted that in our first, this class, the first class that I taught of yours, systems class. We were all swimming, man. Sorry. Yeah. But I, I did read a book on Stoicism last year, and fifty percent of it I hated. Yeah, but it's also really good. It was. Which captures exactly what we're talking yeah, about. Exactly. Like just because something's harmful in some aspects or can be used as sure. harm, it's not all bad. So anyway, stoicism, right? And then we also have avoidance of femininity. Mm-hmm. So in uh, 
in a lot of the, you know, so much. And again, I challenge guys who are listening right now to think about this. I'm not going to say the words, but what are the derogatory terms we call each other? And how many of them are connected to the feminine? Yeah. I had to swallow my tongue to not to say them from, you know, growing up. Yeah, don't say them. Yeah. Yeah, but we all know what they are. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. The other thing that's hand in hand with reject avoidance or rejection of femininity is the rejection of sexual minorities. Mm. Anybody other than home, heterosexual. Yep. And heterosexual male. Yep. Again, challenge all the guys listening. Think about the derogatory terms that they throw have or continue to throw around. Mm-hmm. What do they? What do we use? What did we use? Right. You know, I'm thinking about my story. Ooh. Said some not good things, you know, and I, I didn't even know what they meant. Did we drop an f bomb on here earlier? No. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. No f bombs. I thought you did. It's just interesting that. I thought we dropped an F-bomb and uh, we're being really conscious to not say things that are offensive. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. we didn't. No okay. F-bombs. I don't think so. I didn't. I know I didn't. <laughs> I've, been really, I've been really careful. Okay. Um, anyway, the avoidance of femininity. Yeah. Okay. Probably everything can be understood under that umbrella. Sure. So, so in, in early masculine psychology, pre-sexual revolution... Mm-hmm. Essentially, the ultimate failure of masculine identity formation was homosexuality. Right. Because it was embracing femininity. Yep. And the development of a healthy sexuality was innately connected to being a healthy person in general for a guy. Q homophobia. Yep. Q misogyny. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I, it, I encourage anybody who's listening, especially the guys, to reflect on the times where they were afraid that they wouldn't be considered good enough to be part of their group. Mm-hmm. And what kind of things did you do? Especially in high school. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember even early, early, early on. I don't know how early I learned the lesson that emotions was not good. So I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to go down the list a little more. And then we'll talk sure. Can I, I just want to interject here real fast. Yeah. The reason I say that is, I mean, I can't tell you how many, I mean, I've, I spent a decade working with teenage males yeah. and I still work with teenage males. And, uh, you know, I can only speak from my own perspective and my own experience, but like all those things that we're talking about, the phrase, the phrasing, the terminology, mm-hmm. you know, the, degradation of of both of those domains man i feel like always peaked so hard between the ages of i don't know 13 20 13 18 i mean they're not gone no no they're still there today trust me (laughs) yeah they're not gone i mean we show up at any gathering of men Mm -hmm. it's gonna happen yeah yeah um okay so we talked about a stoicism Mm -hmm. We talked about avoiding femininity and the rejection of sexual minorities. Next is restricted emotionality. Fancy way of saying don't show emotion. Yeah. There's some pretty legit research out there that that says that one of the innate features of being raised male in the United States is is a traumatic response to the expression of emotion. Mm. There's a fancy word that starts with an A that this is called and I can't remember it. 
alexithymia or something like that. Mm-hmm. Alexithymia. Alexithymia, I think is what it is. Um, but it's a stunted emotional awareness and expression due to trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not making this up. This is, this is, this is, this is, there's like serious research done that the, the socialization process of males in, in the United States is innately traumatic. Yeah. This is Levant, the gender role strain paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, dang, right? That's not good. Uh, but anyway, so restricted emotionality. The next one, dominance. I need to nominate you. Yep. Uh, I'll get through the list first before I start telling stories. The next one, if you're non- first, you're last. Huh? If you're not first, you're last. Yeah, I had this. We talked about cutoff tees. Mm-hmm. One of my last cutoff tees when I was 17 was first place is second loser by the brand No Fear. You remember that brand? Yes. Yeah. Also, I've not heard of that brand in a solid 15 years. Me neither. I mean, I, yeah, that was my last shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was quoting Ricky Bobby, but fair oh, enough. Sorry, missed it. Yeah, tell that unites. Anyway. Um, okay, next one, non-relational sexual prowess. Mm-hmm. Another way to understand this is uh, sex as conquest. Yeah, scoundrel. Scoundrel. <laughs> Shout out to episode three. Shout out to episode three. Next one, avoidance of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And the last one is violence. Mm-hmm. So think of think of these as the main calling cards of establishing your sense of masculinity. Yep. I'm going to do all these things and I feel like a man. That's yep. kind of the, the message. Or it's at least accepted to be masculine. Yeah. Well, well, and the acceptance makes you feel like it. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think I think I've told you this story before. The first time I wore a shawl neck sweater around my friends. Sorry, friends. I think I tell you told you me this, this off the podcast. Yeah, I'm going to tell you it now okay. on the podcast. Okay. Yeah. Yes. The first time I wore a shawl neck sweater yeah. around my friends, a sweater that I still have and wear. Yeah. It's awesome. First time I wore a shawl neck sweater was at my one of my friends' weddings. We were going to get dressed. Yeah. I showed up, white t-shirt, shawl neck sweater. The kind of things that were said to me by the people, the men that I love the most in the world, mm-hmm. don't believe it. Yeah. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not going to say them. <laughs> yeah. It was bad. I mean, it's direct quotes from uh, the four-year-old virgin. Okay. <laughs> I've seen that movie in a long time. You've never seen the forty year old. No, I've version. seen it. I haven't seen it in a long oh, okay. time. Yeah. Um but it was really bad. Yeah. These are guys that really loved me. You know, yeah. I really love them still. Yeah. It's bad. Um it was it in, it was around the rejection of sexual minorities. Yeah. The avoidance of femininity. You know? Yeah. And the way that I managed it was through dominance. I said Would mean, you put them in a headlock? Mean things back. Yeah. Man, these are people I love. <laughs> yeah. This is how we are interacting. Yeah. For sure. Um, okay. Let's get to the history in order to sort of orient us again. Um, so, in the 80s, these things were identified as essential tenets of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Then the field of, of psychology kind of went to war against these ideas. That's a little strong. But over and over again, they got indicted in negative outcomes. Right. And over and over again, 
the void between people who embraced an alternative version of masculinity and the people who didn't got bigger and bigger. Right. Giant divide. Hmm? Giant divide. A giant divide, yeah. Uh, So I want to fast forward now to the Gillette commercial. The infamous Gillette commercial. Do you remember it? Uh, Briefly. What do you remember about the Gillette commercial? They were shaving and something about this is being man, right? Somewhere along the lines. Gillette decided to take a social position. During the Super Bowl, first of all. Yeah, they decided to to take a social position and, and indict toxic masculinity. Yeah. And so there were scenes of boys chasing other boys and beating them up. Guys being, you know, not nice to women, mm-hmm. uh, all these things in the first half of the commercial. Sure. In the second half of the commercial, it was other men intervening to change these behaviors so that they wouldn't do those things. Yeah. What do you remember about the backlash from the commercial? Uh, it was <laughs> it was an indictment of toxic masculinity. That's what I remember. And the APA put Same something one. out about it too, right? Yeah, it was that... The Gillette commercial came out, I think, right before the APA guidelines. And so, uh, or actually, yeah, the APA thing came out right before the commercial. And so there's already some buzz in some media. And then the commercial came out and it was really, it was big. Anyway, how did, how did you feel about the commercial? Uh, if, if I'm being completely honest, I, I remember when this came out because I was, I was a student in your class. Okay. I don't remember the first half of that commercial. I remember only the second half and then all the buzz coming out and people being uh, very upset about it and me not understanding what happened. Like, uh, nope, I'm going to shut this down. This this doesn't make sense to me. Sure. Um, (laughs) So I had this moment, this experience after... I didn't even see the commercial during the Super Bowl. Um, But I heard about it and I had this moment of like, oh my gosh, this is my time. It's my time to shine. People are fighting about masculinity. Systemic masculine paradigm. Yeah, people are fighting about masculinity. This is my time to shine. And so I got really fascinated in all the reactions in in, uh, the public sphere in media. And so I looked up a bunch of articles. I, I watched a ton of YouTube clips on news shows talking about it. And two things happened. Depending on which side of this issue you fell on, one side was, this is really important. This is a really good message because it's showing that men have the power to affect other men for good. So that that was one side. And I remember watching a clip, especially of Piers Morgan, actually, where he was, he was in a, a discussion panel with women, and then it was Piers, and uh, all the women were saying this. And then the other side, which this is the only, I, I watched so many clips, but this is the one that I remembered. Um, the, the basic message from the other side was, listen, masculinity isn't the problem. If you say mas- men are the problem and you say toxic masculinity, you're, ta- you're labeling men as the problem. Mm. And what, 49% of the population of the world are men? Yeah. And so let me label all. Let's label every one of us a problem. Sounds like a big problem in itself. It's not good. <laughs> That's not good. And and uh, if you haven't already, listen to episode two where we talk about 
the aspects of traditional masculinity that lead to very serious outcomes like yeah. high rates of depression in men, yeah. high rates of suicide in men, high rates of isolation and addiction in men. So we have we have a problem. Yeah. We have a problem and we have a problem that's very divided. Yeah. Um so fitting for the time. Fitting for the time. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's name another thing that's divisive. Um Holy smokes, this is another episode. But the the idea of divisiveness and masculinity deserves a lot of time as well. Um, because the way that a lot of men that I know, this doesn't happen for me anymore, but it would have in the past. Mm-hmm. The way that a lot of men that I know and a lot of men that I work with interpret the uh, the current dialogue around masculinity is, if you're male, you're a problem. Yeah, no, for sure. If you're male, you uh, you deserve to be demonized. Mm. You are a threat. Um, you're not a resource, et cetera, et cetera. Again, this is this is not my lived experience. Frankly, this is uh, this is my experience of plugging into large, like widespread narratives. But this is a real experience for a lot of men. In today's day and age. I think so. Yeah. No, 100% it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least they are, they're worried about it. Yeah. Even if they don't, they're concerned that if they don't feel it already, they're concerned that they will, that they'll well, be put I mean, in that box. To pull you out just a second, this is, if, if I'm, we're going to dig into Marshall's subconscious. Let's go. This is probably why I skipped the first half of the Gillette commercial. And only saw the second half and thought, I don't understand why everyone is so upset right now. Mm. I'm just going to cut myself out of this. Mm. I'm going to erase myself from the conversation. Mm. That's, that's that. It's what I'm getting at. So I'm going to pull back again, sort of like meta here, big picture a little bit. Um, going from the 50s to now. I think it was probably episode two again from TJ's conversation about the stigma stigma around men's mental health. Um, there's a changing dialogue for a lot of people. Like, yeah, mental health is important. Um, I love mixed martial arts. There are some uh, alpha males, needless to say, in mixed martial arts. Yeah. There are some alpha male voices in mixed martial arts. Two of the most uh, prominent ones are Joe Rogan, of course, mm-hmm. the Joe Rogan experience, and also also Brendan Schaub. Yeah, yeah, uh, with the Below the Belt podcast. Guess what? One of the ads is on the Below the Belt podcast. Manscaped. N- yes. <laughs> and BetterHelp.com. There you go. Okay. You know this is not an ad for Better BetterHelp.com or Manscaped but, or Manscaped, um, but. Uh, Therapy is being advertised on one of the most prominent mixed martial arts podcasts mm-hmm. in the world. And probably the most masculine identifying podcast in the world, whether he chooses it or not. Shab? Brandon Shab? No, Rogan. Oh, Rogan doesn't advertise better help, does he? I don't know. Man. Brandon Shab does. Does he? On okay. Below the Belt. So, okay. like, but it's close. Anyway, we have this emerging dialogue around men 
within men that like, yeah, mental health is important. But again, addressing TJ's uh, question, I think maybe we had talked about it in episode two or three. Sorry, TJ. Two. It was episode two. Um, there is a changing dialogue, but there's still these aspects of what it means to be a male in our culture that are um, that I think are barriers to accessing more of the human experience, like emotionality, connection, vulnerability, yeah. um, even like generativity. And what I mean by that is like giving life, like uh, giving love, uh, raising our children in a way that they're not um, restricted, but that they thrive. You know, yeah. this is this is what my parents wanted. This is what my grandparents wanted. But there's a new version of this. I remember when For I was sure. writing my master's thesis, there was this term, the new fatherhood, mm. quote unquote, new fatherhood, you know, and there was a lot of research that said, um, you know, people want to embrace this quote unquote new fatherhood. But when it's time, when it's go time, when the baby's born, they can't. Yeah. And it's not just the guys, it's the their wives, too. Yeah. They can't. Yeah. Excuse me. I mean, can I pull you out for just a second? And I'm hmm. anticipating your eye roll right now. And a few <laughs> listeners. Let's go. I love your guys' feedback, by the way. Keep sending it in friends, family, and new listeners. Feelings are cool. And <laughs> Exactly. Not, not even an eye roll, just a, a snicker. A snicker. But, but... Like, that's part of this. Like, yeah. being able to watch a Disney movie and be okay with crying. Now, I know that's not explicitly what you're talking about. Yeah. But it is a different paradigm of like, hey, it's okay to show this other side of yourself that, you know, for a lot of your life has said, this isn't okay. Yeah. Here's where I was going. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Feelings are cool. Cool perpetuates the problem, man. Maybe. Feelings are inevitable. We talked about this. Okay, Thanos. Fe feelings are inevitable. You don't even know what that is. I do. Avengers. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, I haven't seen the movie, but saw cliffs. Uh, feelings are inevitable, but he here's where I'm going. Yeah. Um, so, okay. In this up, you know, we've been talking about tracking the... Uh, the main themes of masculinity in our culture. And now we're talking about the changing themes of masculinity in our culture. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about the legacy of masculinity in our culture. Just like we were talking about the legacy of being Irish sure. in your family, right? Yeah. Right. It's uh, you, we came from Ireland. We did this and this and this kind of lost the Irish heritage, but then you read it in a book and you're like, Oh my Lord, I'm super Irish. Yep. Based on the way I live in the world, more than thirty nine percent. More than thirty nine percent. All of the all of the percent. Yeah. Um, what we're talking about around masculinity is these things: stoicism, not showing emotion, rejecting femininity, uh, being dominant, being violent, uh, not uh, you know not being relational in in our sexual experiences like yeah. using them in order to gain prowess the things we're talking about even if there's a changing dialogue around uh, you know what it means to be male how it means to be a good man etc cetera, etc cetera, 
these things are left over, especially the harmful aspects. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to go back to the military studies that we talked about last episode. Stoicism is not bad, right? Innately not bad, right? And in the military studies, they were talking about the changing definition of of terms that were were like originally get harm, after it harm, harmful, right? right. Get after yeah. it instead of meaning. Let's go do something like let's talk about our emotions. Let's yeah. talk about vulnerability. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about expanding our, our yeah. capacity to deal with this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to tell a story. We are a story-based podcast. I want to, I want to tell, tell a story. A story. We're going to wrap this up with a story. And a question. One of the... <laughs> One of the things I don't know if we're gonna get to the question. We're gonna get to it. One of the things that uh, is involved with this idea of what it means to be male is that if you don't feel that way, if you don't feel like you measure up as a man, a lot of times you don't feel like you're a good enough person. Yeah. Period. Um. In my experience as a therapist, as a husband, as a father, as a man in the world. That's been real, mm-hmm. you know, not feeling like I measure up as a person if I don't measure up as a man. Right. I would like to tell you now about my experience in seventh grade football as an example. <laughs> so I entered the world of seventh grade football as a, uh, as a young man, yeah. young boy who had attended Catholic school until fifth grade, yeah. well, through fifth grade. And then was homeschooled in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And instead of playing football, I went to boys' choir. It's a drastic change of pace there, Anthony. A big change of pace. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, seventh grade, I wanted to play football. I was still homeschooled, but I wanted to play football. Mm-hmm. Um, no more boys' choir. Yeah. 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 I wanted to play football. So... Uh, the small town school that I went to allowed homeschool kids to play football, any sport. Mm-hmm. So my buddy, my buddy Dusty, <laughs> was already playing, and his older brother was already playing. Uh, his older brother was, in fact, a uh, amazing football player. So we yeah. all looked up to him. Um. <laughs> anyway, so I was like, all right, I'm gonna play football, and I showed up. And uh, I remember showing up to the first day of practice and just feeling like super awkward. And I only knew Dusty, but Dusty, if you're listening, you didn't do a very good job of making me feel welcome. <laughs> Most of the people knew Dusty and they didn't know me. Um, and so it was a bad year. Yeah. It was a bad year. And guess what I did the first day of practice? I was afraid to change in front of the other boys <laughs> in the locker room. Right. So... My mom, thinking she was helping, borrowed me her pair of uh, spandex shorts. Spandex aerobic <laughs> shorts from the 80s. <laughs> and, and gave them to me. So I wore them. And since they were spandex aerobic shorts, that meant that I didn't have to take them off. Yeah. Yeah. So I was changing. Yeah. So I went to practice and did the first day of practice. And... Uh, there was only one boy waiting in the entrance of the school for his mom to pick him up with pink spandex shorts <laughs> on. 
<laughs> and it was me. <laughs> Anthony, and it was I, only about halfway through that experience that I realized something was wrong. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm going to connect with spandex shorts. My story rural, isn't done. Rural. My story isn't Hold done. Hold on. Seventh grade football was a transition year for me as well. Uh, I grew up in a as as we've learned. Eight hundred people, including chicken morning and cows. Morning, sun, Iowa. Morning, I, I at sixth grade at the start of seventh grade you transfer schools and I went to Minneapolis, Iowa. Okay, mm-hmm. Minneapolis, Mediap- yes. not Minneapolis. Yes, every person from Minnesota always asks that. Oh, you went to Minneapolis? No, Minneapolis. Minneapolis. And uh, I mean, I wasn't homeschooled, but it kind of felt like that. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. I had twelve people in my class before, and I was the only boy. Mm-hmm. At seventh grade football, I was called the fat back. Yeah, so I didn't have I didn't have spandex shorts for the first practice, but I was I was a running back that was called the fat back. So rough. Yeah, I, I feel rough. your seventh grade pain. Rough. Yeah, it was bad. It yeah. was a rough year. Yeah, I was not good at football. Mm. I almost cried several times. Almost. Yeah. No, I was gonna cry. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the name for this podcast? Almost cry. <laughs> Almost cried, but but it was a bad year. Yeah, it wasn't good. Eighth grade year came around. You know, bodies changed between seventh and eighth grade. It's the time. Mm. I got taller. I got stronger. The bike shorts didn't leave. Oh, they left oh, after okay. the first day. Okay. Come on, yeah, I understood. Um, but. I realized there were certain things that I had to cut off. Mm-hmm. I had to cut off being scared. And uh, and emotional. Because, mm-hmm. again, I almost cried, which, I mean, it's pretty obvious when somebody almost cries. Yeah. I think, yeah, there was this kid named Taz. Taz? Taz. Taz Fischel. He always used to make fun of me. And one time in seventh grade, I, I told him to shut up. And he got in my face real hard. Ted was, Taz was super cool. He had a crotch rocket in 10th grade. <laughs> Taz was dope. Taz was, Taz was so cool. <laughs> um, he, he was in eighth grade at the time. Yeah. Anyway, I remember going toe-to-toe with him. Like, I told him to shut up. Shut up, Taz. Yeah. Uh, anyway, in eighth grade, I was like, it's not going to happen again. Yeah. So I shut off a few things. I shut off being scared. I shut off being emotional. Yep. And I got super reckless. Mm. And I got crazy. And because of that, I got really good at football. Um, I got really violent. Yeah. I didn't show any emotion. Yeah. And let me tell you, eighth grade was so much better yeah. than seventh grade. And the way that that stuck was... If I can be violent, if I if I can if I can hurt people more than they can hurt me, I'll be good. Yeah, I'll fit in. You I'll accepted, wear spandex, and you they won't care. The pre nineteen sixties ideology. Yeah, except it wasn't pre nineteen sixties. It was right there. Yeah, it was late nineties. You know. Yeah. Be violent. It was. You're, it you're was good. the two thousands. Was it? Yes. Oh. Feels so long. 
It wasn't even, dude, we're not even talking 90s. This is 2000. It's 2001. This is 2000. 2002. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We are 33 um, years old. This was the 2000s. I'm 32. I'm 32. Well, I'm 33. <laughs> this it was 2000. Yeah. Anyway, um, he, he, here's why, I'm, why I brought up that story and, and just kind of like to bring it home to wrap things up. Um, the way of being male that was so prominent, so accepted, um, so real that we just took it as like it is, right? Like this is real, period. Um, that way of being male, it for most of us, it made us feel like we were good enough. Yeah. It made us feel like we belonged in, in a world that mattered. Um, and a lot of the most harmful aspects of that way of belonging and that way of mattering are also now, we know, connected with some really damaging experiences for males. Yeah. Including depression, suicide, losing relationships. Yeah. Etc. Yeah. The divide. So what do we do from here, Marshall? Here's where we go from here, Anthony. At least for me, and I'm wondering if this is what you're getting at over the last you know, hour of this podcast. Okay. We started this exploring my Irish heritage. Right? <laughs> yes. And typing into the West world robot robotic programming of this is my life. And mm-hmm. when we left that part of this, this podcast, it was, do I accept what has been, you know, conceived already? Or do I challenge these preconceived notions and make a choice to do things that I want to do? Yeah, that's that's where this goes, right? Do you accept what's happening, right? If we're if we're looking at this, mm-hmm. like I'm aware, I'm insightful, I know what's happening, mm-hmm. and now I've made sense, like historically, mm-hmm. what's gone up to this point, and now I'm at a I'm I'm at a crossroads. Mm-hmm. Do I put my head in the sand and continue with these things of self judgment? Mm-hmm. Okay, of whatever those things were, mm-hmm. right? Or do I make a choice to explore and move forward with whatever my uh, viewpoint, passion, whatever it is to change these things? Yeah. That's where we go. I couldn't say it better. Yeah, this conclusion of your eco-systemic <laughs> masculine paradigm. Masculinity. Sorry. Come on. Sorry. No, but for really, I couldn't say better. Uh, I think a lot of what we're trying to do, we're talking about origins. And the idea of this episode is talking about what are the large scale stories that we're telling ourselves and telling each other about being male. Yeah. I think what you just said wraps up where, where it leaves us when we're looking critically at that. Yeah. You know, uh, are we still male if we're emotionally attentive? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big question. Yeah. I, I think so. 
I also think that that challenges family legacy. Yep. Right? And, um, shout out to my therapist. Shout out to my therapist. <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, but anyway, yes. Um, you said it well. I think that's a great place to leave it for now. We're starting the conversation of origins understanding where we came from um this whole idea came from this i this stupid joke that i heard all right well it's a it's a riddle have you heard of this riddle two fish swimming along have i told you about this no okay um so two young fish were swimming along swim and they pass an older fish and the older fish says morning boys the water's fine and the older fish swims on and the younger two fish swim on and one of the younger fish looks to the other one and says what's water yeah they don't know yeah. they don't know what they're swimming yeah they don't know the air they're breathing right right and going all the way back to your experience of reading about what it meant to be an irish person um growing up now yeah from that book that you were right. talking about um most of us don't know the air we breathe. Right. Most of us don't know the, the legacy the that, that we've been left, the water we're in, the, the origins of who we are as males. We don't know the story. Right. I, I didn't know the story. Yeah, I didn't, neither did I. I didn't know the story, and I'm still learning the story. And I think um, understanding the story of how we got here helps us move forward um, in a new way. For sure. Yeah. That being said, Anthony. Yes. We need to bring this home. As in we need to go home? We need to go home. <laughs> we need to go home. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. Jeff, we're yeah. going to get to your question. It was an awesome question. Phenomenal just for, question. Just a teaser. Yeah. A teaser. Uh, Jeff is a, a, a close family member of mine, and he... Uh, I just love the way he thinks. And well, he and, asked about the difference. If, if I read it correctly and yeah. remember it correctly. Yeah. He asked about the difference between philosophical existentialism. Well, like the struggles. Psychology, philosophicalism. Yeah. Like yeah. if you're, if you're struggling with who you are as a person, big thing, big questions like, is God real? Is there meaning in life? All of these big, big questions. Right. Is there a connection between those questions and struggling with a daily experience of, say, depression, right. anxiety, yeah, et cetera, et cetera? Um, answers, yes. Yeah, short answers, yes. Right. Long answers, another episode. Episode five, foreshadowing. Maybe. Anyway, it's an awesome <laughs> question. <laughs> Jeff, we will answer your question. We will answer your question, Jeff. Thank you. At some point. We appreciate everyone listening. Thanks again. We'll catch you next time. Yeah. Be well.